It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Bilbo Baggins from the book The Hobbit said, Go back, he thought. No, not good at all. Go sideways, impossible. Go forward, only thing to do, on we go. (laughs) Folks, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us. Give us your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. Look for the CQ Rewind button on our episode pages. Another great companion is our all-new Bible study notes, an easy-to-follow single page of questions tied to scriptures for a great personal study or for your Bible study group. Check them out by clicking on the Bible study tab on our homepage. And we also do video. Look for new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what are we doing tonight? Well, Rick, <clears throat> excuse me. Our question is, who was Gideon? And our theme text is found in Psalms 27, verse 3. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Okay, so the question, who was Gideon? Well, let's do it this way. Have you ever heard the expression putting out the fleece when referring to someone trying to make a decision? Its origin comes from an unlikely biblical hero from an unremarkable tribe. He was the youngest of an insignificant family, and yet Gideon was chosen by God to do a mighty work, to free Israel from the cruel oppression of the Midianites and Amalekites. Getting such an unnoticed individual to do works of such greatness took providence and patience on God's part. Gideon needed to develop a God-based confidence to boldly move forward and stand against enemies of immense power. So coming up in today's podcast, here's a newsflash for you, (laughs) as if you didn't know this. We are surrounded by darkness and godlessness. What do we do? In our first and second, second, second segments, we lay out the world that Gideon was born into, and sadly enough, it's kind of just exactly like ours. How would you handle being called upon to stand up to a massive force that dominates everyone in its path? Gideon had that very challenge, and we examine his reaction in segment three. How about this? What do you do when the result of the first action you take for the sake of righteousness ends up with death threats? Do you hide? Segment four shows us how Gideon actually handled this. And then finally, so the battle looms and the odds are worse than 100 to 1. So how do you get your mindset on still doing God's bidding when looking when it looks to be absolutely impossible? Segment 5 reveals God's amazing power. Rick, the story of this man's journey not only inspired a nation, it left a trail of lessons for us to apply our everyday Christian walk. So it's about Gideon, and you know when we want to go over this particular subject, something as powerful as if we bring in the big guns. Julie, welcome back. Oh boy, big guns. Okay, <laughs> little littlest gun in the holster. 
Uh, hi, so, Rick and Jonathan. So, Julie, who are you and why are we doing Gideon? Well, we're all volunteers here at CQ, and I work with a team that creates these weekly CQ Rewind show notes that accompany every audio episode. So, so our listeners don't even need to take notes when you listen, because we've done that for you. And you can just go to ChristianQuestions.com, and, and you can find those all there. So, you know, I grew up hearing the story of Gideon in Bible class, and I'm embarrassed to say that I had forgotten most of the details. And we thought it was a good idea to go back and periodically revisit specific people of faith in the Bible so we can draw inspiration and be in awe of God's providence. You know, there's a hymn called Tell Me the Old, Old Story. And the last verse starts like this. Tell me the same old story when you have cause to fear that this world's empty glory is costing me too dear. So it's in that spirit that we want to step away from the worldly influences for the next hour or so and dive into the scriptures and tell some of these old, old stories. So Gideon is one such story that is thoroughly inspiring when we put it in perspective. Okay, so let's get started. We've got a lot of foundation to lay, and let's get that done. Hebrews chapter 11 provides a list of faithful servants of God from ancient times. And let's just take, read one verse, Hebrews eleven thirty-two. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of da David and Samuel and the prophets. So why Gideon in this case? Well, you know, to understand his story, we have to understand his world. So the Old Testament reveals Israel in this constant state, this cycle, deliverance, then disobedience, then oppression then deliverance, then disobedience, then oppression. Why this necessary generational cycle? And it's because human nature forgets the wisdom and experience of their father's and grandfather's mistakes. So new generations would hear secondhand of the consequences for previous disobedience. And without that personal experience, just like us, they repeated history. And, you know, if we learn history, we are don't have to be destined to repeat it. So the story of Gideon becomes a very, very important place for us to start with some incredible heroics. So Jonathan, let's get this started. What are we kind of looking at as, as, as a basis to, to get going here? Well, a theme for Gideon's experience, be aware, know what is happening around you. Okay, so our first theme is to be aware. God always told his people there would be hardship when they did not follow him. And that's something that, you know, if I were God's people, you know, we won't, we claim to be God's people, that's something we should be aware of. There's always going to be hardship when they don't follow. In the Old Testament, it was very plain. Judges chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Now the angel of the Lord said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I swore to your fathers and said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. So you have at the beginning of Judges chapter 2 very clear instructions from God. Continue. But you have not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. So not listening, Israel suffered major consequence. Did they listen? No. They made things worse by developing relationships with the pagan peoples, which God had already told them, don't do that. And we go to Judges chapter 3 now, verses 5 to 7. The sons of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, 
the Perizzites, the Havites, and the Jebusites, and they took their daughters for themselves as wives and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. So, you know, the law was in place to keep them separate and pure because this people carried the Messiah's lineage. And God gave specific and exacting direction through this law that should have helped them avoid temptation because they of all people would know definitively what right from wrong was. They would know, but they didn't apply. So it's one thing to know. It's another thing to apply. And again, we said the beginning lesson, the beginning foundation here is awareness. So Jonathan, what's a good awareness lesson to get us started? Look around. Hmm. Are we separate from the world and its interests? We cannot jeopardize or compromise our covenant with God. And, you know, when they, uh, you know, they started mingling with these people that they specifically weren't supposed to, this reminds me of when Lot, Abraham and Lot, Lot moved his family right next to Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, you, Rick and Jonathan, had this program. If you can search our archives for our listeners, episode 1064, it was called, Is He Who Hesitates Really Lost? The Story of Lot. Um, you can go to ChristianQuestions.com, look up 1064 and bring up the audio. And there's CQ Rewind show notes there and even a page of study questions you can use for your personal Bible study. So the Israelites were friendly with their neighbors. They married and eventually they just forgot Jehovah's covenant with them. But God never forgot them. So yeah. his his jealousy was based on his love for his people and separation from these Baal worshipers around them would have served them well. And again, they forgot him, but he didn't forget them. And that's really an important part of this. This was the disobedient world in which we find Gideon. It was a particularly difficult time in Israel's history. This was not Israel's first fall from favor. How bad would things get under Midianite intimidation? You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row. Really easy playlist features. And you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Okay, so being out of God's favor, never a good idea. Israel had not only drifted, they were racing down the wrong path and were once again godless and in need of rescue. Their experiences were teaching them what living on their own without God's protection meant. Could their false gods rescue them? And that's a silly question because we know the answer is absolutely not. But they had to find out the hard way. Israel broke their covenant with God and now would be overrun by the Midianites for seven years. So, Julie, let's get just a little bit of background on who these Midianites are. So you remember Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Yep. So Sarah died and Abraham married his third and final wife named Keturah. Keturah and he had six children, and one of them was Midian. And so the Midianites are from one line of descendants of Abraham. Now here, they're fighting against a different line of Abraham's descendants from which Messiah would come. So these are cousins. Hmm. And the Bible records many issues with the Midianites 
including during the time of Moses. They'd go back and forth. So this is a longtime enemy that kept coming back generation after generation. And we will see very quickly in this particular story that they were very, very, very um, uh, bully-like to Israel. So let's go, let's develop the story now. Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And Jonathan, I'm probably going to interrupt you in the middle. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens, which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So it became so dangerous, the people had to leave their cities and hide in caves because Midian was of great number and of great power. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up to the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep or oxen or donkey. And they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they came with their camels, which were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So you have this complete overwhelming force taking the people's food, taking their ability to take care of themselves, and just taking it whenever they want. Talk about a bully. That's, you know, you, the bully takes your lunch at recess. Well, this is your, the bully taking your breakfast, lunch, and dinner for years and years and, and years. The enemy stole whatever food they grew. Midian actually means strife, and that is very appropriate. In researching this topic, I found that what little food uh, the Israelites could gather from their fields, because most of it was stolen, they took and hid it in those caves to sustain them, um, even though it was just barely enough to survive. So their existence really was built around just being able to survive. Let's just survive. So as we look at this story, Again, our, our basic foundational theme is awareness. So, Julie, let's go on to another awareness lesson based on what we've just seen here. Well, we can see that these conquering Midianites could correlate to our battle with our own fleshly weaknesses. Our weaknesses repeatedly come up because they've not been conquered, and that makes for a continual battle. And dabbling in idolatry inevitably leads to a broken relationship with God and the need for change. So we can't let down our guard. We can't rationalize dabbling in a little bit of this and a little bit of that because it waters down our relationship with God and allows the enemy to attack us until we're too weak to fight back. And and, and that's a really good way to, 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 to illustrate it. When you start to dabble, what you do is you lose your focus. And you dabble and nothing seems to go wrong. And so you dabble a little bit more. And now you have Israel mixing with all of these other peoples, which is what God said not to do. And they ended up in a place where they were entirely idolatrous and being overrun. After seven years of oppression, the people finally cry out to God. And he sends an unnamed prophet to them. So we go to Judges chapter 6 now, verses 6 through 10. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. 
I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors. And you disposed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you live, but you have not obeyed me. So God is basically telling them here, I'm, I'm punishing you. I'm putting you in a position where you have to learn an important lesson. And he continually goes back to the story of deliverance from the Egyptians because that was such a drama that God that showed God's great power. So th- there's three really main observations for this section of Scripture. Julie, what's the, what's the first one? Well, so God's prophet was sent to convict them of their sins. And by convict, I mean convince. They had to be convicted. He needed to convince them that they were out of harmony with him, with God. And idolatry brought them this adversity. And, you know, Hebrews 1.9 tells us not only to love righteousness, but to hate iniquity, meaning evil or wickedness. We can't love righteousness, but feel apathetic about what is against God. We are told to hate it. So this is being convicted so that when we encounter it, we're repelled by it and not attracted to it. And it took a long time. It took a long time for them to to get there and took a lot of hardship. Jonathan, what's the next observation? Well, God reminds them that he promised he would defend them and protect them as long as they maintained heart loyalty and faithfulness to him. God was faithful to his covenant, but Israel was not. And see, there's always that imbalance. Whenever things don't go well and whenever things are contrary to the will of God, God's always faithful. It's us. The problem is always us. And God in these verses is reminding them, you've got to, you've got to come back, you've got to comply. And Julie, the third observation. Well, he, here he tells them what they did wrong. They did not obey his voice. And one major problem with sin is rationalization. And this is something that I think we all do, where we think, well, this behavior isn't so bad because we need to be convicted and move forward. All right. So the idea of rationalization is typically that little idea that can get us into big trouble. And so God is preparing them. He's allowing them to suffer, and it's a long time. Seven years is a long time to be bullied every single day by this overwhelming people. Jonathan, what's our awareness lesson as we wrap up this part of the foundation? Look up. Once we get tired of the defeat and folly of our godless ways, we need to humbly acknowledge our desperation before God and willingly accept his providence. Humbly acknowledge our desperation before him and then accept his providence, whatever it is, however it is, wherever it is, and whenever it is. That is a tall order. But when you've been humbled so badly for so long, maybe you're beginning to get ready for such a thing. See, God knows he will deliver them, but God also knows it's more important that they be educated about sin's penalty. Gideon is about to get the opportunity to save Israel. Will he be able to get out of his own way? It's been a privilege and exciting interacting with our listeners all over the world. Reach out to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. In addition to always continuing the conversation on our website, in social media, and our YouTube channel. Learn more about becoming a Christian Questions Ambassador. There are several impactful ways you can help us continue to spread the gospel message. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, click on About Us, then select Ways to Support CQ. Join our incredible team of volunteers and find out more. Now back to Rick and Jonathan. 
You know, in every story of drama and unlikely victory, there is inevitably arises an unlikely hero. They're usually an individual of strong integrity and a humble spirit who's simply going about their business until destiny calls. And this precisely describes Gideon, the quietly valiant man who would bring Israel back to God. One man would be responsible for bringing Israel back to God with God's providence working with him. So here's what happens. An angel visits Gideon and changes the direction of Israel. Now, Gideon doesn't know he's an angel. He speaks to him as though he's a man. We're going to go to Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak, which belonged to Joash, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And, you know, I can imagine Gideon looking at him and saying, uh, excuse me. Who, you, me? Yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> you, you talking to me? I mean, where? Where? Is there a valiant warrior here? Because I don't know of anybody. It's completely surprising. So, and, and, here, and here's Gideon's response. And it's interesting because he's got a response that's very, very direct. Verses 13, uh, verse 13. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. So Gideon really doesn't understand. He, he's clueless. He, he's saying, look, I know the history. You're saying God's with us, but I don't see that. It doesn't seem to occur to him that the Lord's disfavor is manifested in the successes of the Midianites against Israel was on account of their own disloyalty. He's not seeing that yet. So God is taking this humble man who doesn't understand. He's going to give him the understanding and is going to give him a way to deal with all of this. A couple of things interesting here. Uh, Julie, Joash, his father, and then Gideon. What, what do their names mean? Oh, the name Joash means whom the father bestows, and we'll find out soon how that is so important. And Gideon means destroyer or cutter, cutter, cutter of trees, which we'll soon see is an appropriate name. Okay, so we're again, we're working with the idea of being aware. And awareness is foundational for any of us who are going to do work for God. So Jonathan, what's our next awareness lesson that, that's, that Gideon is beginning to see happen here? Well, Gideon's question, why has all this happened to us, is in fact the big question humanity has asked down through the many ages. Spiritual awareness enables us to be used of God. And you know, sometimes we all have the same difficulty where you say, well, how did I get into this mess? And you know, our actions have consequences, and we need to make sure that we're following closely to the Lord's instructions so that we're not bringing trouble upon ourselves. And an example I thought of was going into debt in order to get the latest and greatest, you know, whatever we feel we need to have. So we spend, 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 and then wonder, well, why am I so stressed out about money? And I'm so stressed out, I can't think of anything else. So I can't do my Bible study. I can't meditate on the scriptures because I've gotten myself into this mess. Now, sometimes troubles arise because we Christians do exactly what we should be doing and we're persecuted for Christ's sake. But that's not this situation. This is something that the Midianite, sorry, the Israelites should have, could have, would have known better, and they opted not to. So every time there's trouble doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. 
That's right. In this case, absolutely, it was very wrong and very idolatrous. And Rick, in this awareness lesson for Gideon, we as Christians, um, when we have the calling to follow after Christ, it's just like this. Who, me? Yeah. <laughs> Little me? Who you talking to? Uh, uh, at least that's how I, I felt. Uh, but he does make us aware, just like he did to Gideon, that something special can take place if, and we'll kind of hold it there because later that can expand. Something special can take place if, and that, that's powerful. This is a sim- simple but unfathomable life-changing command that's given, okay? This command is going to take awareness that created a foundation for Gideon to do God's work, and it's going to challenge him to take the next step. He's learning to become aware, and now he's going to be challenged to assimilate what he's become aware of. Assimilation, to assimilate, to put the pieces together, to kind of figure it out. He's got to assimilate the meeting. Uh, Judges chapter 6 now, verses 14 through 16. The Lord, which is represented by the angel, looked at him and said, Go in your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least at Manassas, and I am the youngest in my father's house. So you can see Gideon is humble. He's shocked at the suggestion of him being the one to save Israel. He's saying, you know, this this just doesn't seem right to me. And Rick, that reminds me of David, you know, being chosen, the anointed one. He was the youngest of all the brothers. He was a mere shepherd. Yeah. And he was chosen. So, oh, and wait, that reminds me of the Apostle Paul. Didn't the Apostle Paul say, and I'm the least of the apostles? And he went on and on and on and on about how, really, he was the lowest of the low. He was the least of everything. Yeah, yeah and that's a very common theme throughout Scripture. And the reason is, that's the way God works. So because he's looking for the humility, because the humility can be shaped. So now let's go on to our first assimilation lesson. We've been talking about awareness. Julie, what's our first lesson in assimilating the things we become aware of? Well, like we've seen in Gideon and David and Paul, the Lord uses the weak things made strong to give him glory. And he's looking for humble hearts through which he can do great things. So we need to be a humble heart if we want to be used of God. Remember, Moses was chosen and he was what? The the meekest man on the earth? Oh, that's right. So you've got loads of examples of that being made ready and then learning how to take in, okay, what's about to happen here? Reminds us of 1 Corinthians 1, 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Okay, God chose Gideon. He was weak and fearful, but he had a great heart and attitude. He would become a, become fearless. He would become absolutely fearless, but not yet. You see, he had to grow into that fearlessness because he had to grow into the responsibility, and he had to figure it out. And that's why God was patient with him and walked him through step by step by step. God's plan was to perform powerful, powerful things through Gideon. Go to Judges chapter 6 now, uh, verses 16 uh, through 18. Let's just stop with verse 16 to start with, Jonathan. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. 
You know, and that's a pretty interesting thing because Midian is an overwhelming force. The overwhelming power of Midian will be reduced to that of an individual man. It's like, how could that even be possible? God is, uh, Gideon's overwhelmed and he needs assurance. So he does what anybody who needs assurance would do. I, I need help. I need, I need to be shown something sign from the angel. Verses 17 and 18. So Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from me here until I come back to you and bring out an offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. So Gideon is hospitable and he sets down this small meal in front of the angel. It was goat and broth and there was something else to that, whom he presumably still thinks is a man. And this angel tells him to go ahead and place it on the rock and pour out the broth onto the rock and the angel has a staff in his hand and he touches the food and oomph, it creates this huge fire from the rock that consumes the food and the angel disappears. So what was the sound it made, Julie? Oomph. Okay, I just you'll see that in the CQ rewind. <laughs> I'm not sure how to spell it yet, but okay, it'll okay. be there. All right, that's good. <laughs> you know, so you have this miraculous thing happening right before Gideon's eyes. So he suddenly realizes this is an angel from the Lord. And now he's, he's worried. He's upset. Judges 6, 22 to 23. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So, so, so go ahead. Well, why was Gideon so upset? Since we know others saw angels and didn't die. The only warning was against seeing God himself. So Gideon would have known about Moses, you know, where God showed him his back parts with this glowing face because he can't see God. What's Why is he so afraid here? You know, it's interesting because there's there could be several reasons. And I think one of them is you're so far away from those other events that maybe you're, you're not remembering, you're not sure which is which and what's what. And you're thinking, this is bigger than anything I've ever seen it's it's potentially overwhelming to me, and so you've got this 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 uh, response that don't worry, you're gonna you're gonna be okay. So this hadn't happened in such a long time, and they were so far away from God that this was a shock to the system. So what does Gideon do? He does what a faithful man would do. He builds an altar to the Lord, and he calls it Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. It's interesting. There were three parts to this message from the angel. Uh, peace to you, don't fear, and you will not die. And I think there's a, a, an even deeper, longer meaning to the do, you will not die part. And I think it's brought out in what Jesus tells his disciples the night that he is going to be crucified. He gives them the same three parts to the message. John fourteen twenty seven to 29. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and will come to you. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. So Jesus tells them, don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be fear. First he says, I give you peace, just like the angel. And then don't let your heart be troubled, uh, don't fear just like the angel said to Gideon. And then he says, you won't die. And he says, I've told you these things before it happens. So when it happens, you're going to live through this. And then Jesus, when, they, when, when, when the soldiers actually came to take Jesus, his words were, take me, let them alone. So Jesus gave us that same sense of assurance 
in that experience as Gideon was given. And we see a lot of that in Scripture. It shows us God's recurring care and providence in so many different circumstances. So again, this is a lot for Gideon to sort of take in and figure out. Julie, what's this next assimilation lesson? Well, you know, just like us, Gideon was an ordinary man in an ordinary family, in an ordinary tribe, who was given an extraordinary mission. And he was weak enough to be chosen, but obedient enough to follow, even amidst doubt and uncertainty. And I think this whole story of Gideon to me was start walking. Even if it's baby steps, if you're going in the right direction of what God wants, just start walking. Don't look behind you. Don't look around. You know, well, look around. Know what you're up against. But just start walking forward. And Julie, I love those words because when you're aware you're called, the next step is, well, you've got to walk forward. Now what do I do that the Lord is trying to work in my life? You want to seek godly living, uh, learning how to follow Christ, clean up our own house, which is a mess. Our heart and mind need to be refocused and fixed so that we can be an honor and glory to the Lord. So uh, I, I love that that thought you gave us. You know, and it says, we're talking about him being weak. You know, Gideon's character was actually strong, but he was weak in that he had no clue as to what to do to stand for righteousness. And God took that the strength of his character, the weakness of his position, and built upon it. So, once we have awareness, you have to know what's going on around you to the circumstances. And we assimilate, we, we sort of take in and, and, and figure out what those circumstances mean. We're then called upon to the next step, and that's to activate ourselves, to prepare ourselves for the ine- inevitable and major challenges ahead. Go down to Judges chapter 6, verses 25 to 27, because here is where the challenges really begin. Now at the same night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner, and take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, which you will cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. So the first thing we want to notice is there's idol worship in Gideon's backyard on his father's property. Whoa. This is how pervasive that dabbling became, and it became habitual, and it was deep and dark and awful. So we're going to start to see a progression of Gideon and how he became the great warrior that he was. And step one was clean up your own house before you can lead the people. And, you know, you mentioned this Asherah. So I looked that up. Asherah was a mother goddess associated with trees. And she, air quote, is often portrayed as a wife or a companion of Baal. And we'll have a lot more about this in the CQ Rewind show notes because this Asherah appears like 40 times in the Bible. And it's a a big deal. And it's a big um, idolatry trap that they kept falling into. Yeah, and that was very, very literally. It was idolatries because... (laughs) Sorry, sorry, I couldn't resist. (laughs) Okay, so let's get back focused here. Activation lesson, Jonathan. What's the activation lesson here? 
It was necessary for Gideon to clean up his own house before leading the people. True service and courage begin at home as they grow from the inside out. And we preach this moral code of righteousness and doctrinal truths. But if is our house in order yeah. or are we hypocrites? Is our public life the same as our private life? And that's our habits, the way we talk, how we deal with others. Does this reflect the Christian that we represent that we are? Are we living in harmony with the principles of righteousness? Or is there stuff going on in our backyard that we need to take care of? before we go out into the public. So have we activated what the things that we have been aware of and the things we've had time to uh, sort of digest and assimilate? 1 Peter 4.17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will it be the outcome from whose, what will it, let's try that again. What will it be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Yeah, so judgment has to begin with the household of God. It's with us first. So I've got a question, though. So Gideon did as he was told, but he was still so fearful, he did it at night. Do you think God was displeased that he did it at night? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This was this is the first step in what's going to be an all-out war-type scenario. He told Gideon to get it done. Gideon saw the best way to do it was under the cover of night because it would have not been able to get done during the day. So he was using his mind and applying it to get God's will done. So you say, was it cowardly? No. You see what he did? (laughs) There's no cowardliness here. It was a clarity of, it's got to get done. The angels told me to. This is how I'm going to do it. So I think it was a a great, great uh, approach to fulfilling God's will. So we should manage our enthusiasm to do God's will to make sure we do it the right way. Yeah, yeah. You know, this, re- this reminds me, we had a CQ listener write us asking if it's okay not to pay his taxes because the government's corrupt and giving money perpetuates the problem. So we went back and forth about the biblical principles of rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's and how we're told to obey civil authority in Romans 13.1 and pray for those in authority in 1 Timothy 2.2. 2. But from a practical standpoint, not paying taxes because they're against your moral conscience will eventually land you in jail or worse, depending on what country you live in. So while jail spiritually deepened the resolve of the apostles, this likely wouldn't be the best scenario for us because it would restrict our ability to witness and let our light shine. So we have to be smart about how we go about our witnessing to others. Yeah. And, you know, and and the idea of not paying taxes isn't a great way to witness. Honestly, you know, it's not it's not promulgating the word of God. You know, right. that's, 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 that's what we've got to be focused on. So, so it's important to note here, God never scolds Gideon for his fear or lack of faith. Okay, it's interesting. We're going to see that through this entire uh, account. Every footstep is fraught with uncertainty, but Gideon slowly, surely, obediently continues in the right direction. Julie, our next activation lesson. Well, this is about fear. So fear, like Gideon was scared, is never an excuse to stop walking upon a godly path, but it does present a challenge as to how we proceed. And God knows what we can handle. And like we said before, he will accept our small determined steps, just move in the right direction. Okay. Well, I have a personal story uh, that kind of relates to these lessons with Gideon and putting out the fleece and things like that. And I just wanted to start the story. Jewel and I, after we were married early on as a couple, we saw change coming from 
uh, the Lord showing us something's going to change in your lives. And we saw many overrulings and experiences that God is telling us something here. What are we to do? So we were just confused, wondering, watching, looking, but then it happened. Someone who we respected, a sister in Christ, made a suggestion. So we took it as of the Lord. It was scary. Let's talk about fear. It was scary at first for me to look for a job in Connecticut because uh, we lived in Delaware. And it was a job I had never done before. But if it's what the Lord directed, I needed to follow through. So this was presented to us and we felt, well, this must be from the Lord. So we'll add to it a down the road here. Okay, so the story continues to unfold, just like the story of Gideon continues to unfold. But the key thing here is that we have to be aware and understanding that we've got to be activated based on what we've been aware of and what we've kind of hashed over and worked on in, in our minds. Gideon's obedience began to awaken his inner warrior and brought his own father back to standing with God. Gideon's faith is still developing. Will putting out the fleece finally convince him it's time for action? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. Whenever someone stands against a strong and pervasive tide, it is inevitable that there will be pushback and rage. Gideon drew a God-directed line in the sand, and he did it in what would be looked upon as a surprise attack upon sacred pagan ritual. This battle, this battle that was done at night, would actually unleash the war. So this one act that was done at night so it could be done ended up being a, a, an unleashing of a very, very powerful uh, uh, um, conflict that would change things for a, a generation. And, and Trish handed me a note in the middle of us. Trish is my wife. She's our program observer, if you will. And she says, Gideon lived a con uh, consistent life of faith and reverence um, for God's righteousness. He already had proven himself. In other words, he was a faithful man. He just didn't and humble, know. And right? humble. And he just didn't know what to do. So when we say, when we talk about weak, he, he was directionless as to how to stand against such a tide. God saw him and said, this is the man that I can use. So he was very ready to do very big work uh, for in, in the face of dramatic, dramatic odds, as we will soon see. So he destroys the, the, the altar of Baal in his father's backyard. Well, the next morning comes. And there's an angry stir among the men of the city as an altar of Baal has been destroyed. Judges 6, 29 to 32. They said to one another, who did this thing? And when they searched about and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son so that he may die. For he has torn down the altar of Baal. And indeed, he has cut down the Asherah, which was beside it. So you do this one thing that the angel said, and then very next morning, it's, where is he? We're going to kill him. I mean, this is not, let's talk to him. Let's reason this out. Let's find out what his, what his, what his motivation was. Let's see if he made a mistake. Let's see if he was acting in a drunken stupor. No, this is, get us your son. We're going to kill him. Let's continue the verse, Jonathan. But Joash said to all who stood against him, 
Will you contend for Baal or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because someone has tore down his altar. Therefore, on that day, he named him Jeroboam, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he has torn down his altar. So Joash kind of renames uh, Gideon to uh, Jeroboam. Uh, and, you know, you think about it, Joash's response is very similar to Elijah's taunting of the priests of Baal, and that Elijah's story happens after this. Um, you know, that maybe, uh, maybe the gods of Baal are sleeping, hey, wake them up, you know, taunt, you know, scream louder, wake them up, you know, so they can do the thing that they're supposed to do. There's this idea of let Baal speak for himself. And that's an interesting idea because God was certainly able to speak for himself. So remember, Joash meant whom the father bestows. And so here he's saying, you know, if Baal is God and one lowly man cut down his altar, can't he defend himself? (laughs) You know, if Baal's a true God, he'll he'll kill Gideon. So now Gideon has this new name, you know, that he is let Baal contend against him. So now Gideon's starting to get kind of a, a rep. Yeah. Right. He's kind of the, <laughs> he's the guy to he's someone to contend with because he took a big chance. Not only that, but he lived to tell the story. Yeah. You know, so he's he's tough, getting tougher. And this is one experience, one experience. It becomes life and death immediately because this is the first time undoubtedly in seven years that anybody has set foot against the gods of Baal. And so Gideon does make a dramatic statement. So the showdown begins in verses 33 to 35. The Midianites and Amalekites set up camp around the Israelites, and Gideon gets the message out to the other tribes. So now Gideon is in in a position of authority. 32,000 men are assembled to fight for Israel. So now Gideon is still in a developmental stage. He is still learning what God wants him to do, okay? he is he And he has a need to be sure because this is a big Big deal. Judges 6, let's uh, go to verses 36 to 40. Let's go 36 to 38 to start. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. And when he arose early the next morning and seized the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl of full of water. So it's interesting. Uh, you know, he says, if you, if, if you do this, God, then I will know you will deliver Israel through me. He's acknowledging that he's the tool. That's an important start. He didn't just feel, uh, he didn't just feel it. He saw the miracle's magnitude. He didn't, he didn't go out and feel the fleece and say, wow, it's a little damp. He picked it up and he wrung it out to look at that water. But what if there was something weird about the fleece? You know, what if, what if it attracted the dew from around it in kind of a strange way? And so now this mind of his, because he, this is a big deal, first time in, in years that anybody's ever stood up, he's, he's thinking, okay, well, maybe, let me ask God to reverse the test to make sure that the result is unmistakably his will and it's and supernatural, it's not some coincidence. So verses 39 to 40. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me, that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test one more, once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, and let there be dew on the ground. God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece, and dew was all over the ground. And I love the way, Julie, I love the way he starts this. He says, he tells God, 
don't let your anger burn against me that I may speak once more. That's exactly what Abraham did when he was pleading oh. with God about Sodom, you know, and said, please, please don't be mad. But what if there's only 40 people? What if there's only 30 people? Oh, God, I know you're going to be really mad, but please, what if? And it's this hum- humility uh, in pleading that pleases God because you're just not sure. So it, it really is a, a tremendous lesson here. So, uh, okay, so bringing it to today, should we put out the fleece and how might people do that today? For example, like I know people who will say something like this. If the next person who walks through the door is male, I'll make X decision. But if they're female, I'll do the opposite. Or if God wants me to do X, the next car that parks here will be red. Are we supposed, is this the example? Is Gideon telling us, hey, you should be testing God and, and looking for direct answers? See, I, I think we got to be really careful with that because what that's doing is that's directing God. Those examples you gave are saying, God, answer me this way. And that's a typical, you know what that is? That's a typical atheist challenge. Well, if God is there, then he should talk to me right here and right now. Who do we think we are? Gideon wasn't doing that at all. He wasn't looking for which way to go. He was just needing reassurance. He knew which way to go. He's just saying, God, I need to be sure. This is war we're talking about. I have never done this before. Help me have that faith, that assurity, because I know I'm supposed to do this. I just, I'm scared. So I, I think that there's there's something important there in terms of 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 his following through on what he already know to do. He did ask for a supernatural sign. Well, God works with us as individuals. What might be appropriate for some may not be appropriate for others. And God knows uh, our maturity level yeah, and our yeah, immaturity yeah. level. So sometimes the Lord has to put up with us. Yep. Well, you know, and, and, and that's interesting. And sometimes God will put the fleece out for us. See, I believe that for us to tell God, do this or do this or do this is one thing. But for us to be worried and say, Lord, I just need your, your help and your direction and for you to get a very clear and direct answer, I think that's very appropriate. And I think that has to come more blatantly if we don't have a deeper faith. So, do you have any example of that? Um, off the top of my head, I would say that, you know, an example of, Lord, I really think that, you know, I'm supposed to make this decision. Please give me some kind of an indication somewhere that, that I can understand. And this is the way I have often prayed. Uh, I don't pray this way as much anymore, but it was, please help me, give me an indication in a way that I can understand so that I can do what's right in your sight. And then I would pay attention. And it wouldn't be necessarily that night or the next day. I would never say to God, uh, you know, by 3 o'clock this afternoon, need the answer. It would be in your time, in your way, so that I can understand and pay attention. And it, it often came in study or it came in a conversation with one of the brotherhood or a conversation with my wife or an experience where you come up against something. And, and even sometimes seeing a billboard, you know, something like that can, can be helpful. But it's not saying, God, give me a billboard that says, go this way. <laughs> go this way. <laughs> right. So, so there's a difference. There's a difference between saying, I need help, I need guidance, versus Gideon was very specific. This is what I, I need to look for. And you know why? In his, in his case, his nation's lives were at stake. 
he needed to know because the armies are gathering. He's looking very specifically. And, um, you know, and he had to get up to speed pretty quickly, too, because all this is happening quickly. Yeah. All right. So why was Jesus so critical of those with weak faith? And yet here Gideon gets this overt supernatural signs over and over again. See, I don't think Jesus was critical of those with weak faith. He would say, oh, ye of little faith. What he was actually saying is, oh, ye of small faith that can grow. He's acknowledging, A, that they had faith, and B, that there was room for their faith to grow. When Peter walks on the water and he starts to sink and he, Jesus pulls him in, and he says, oh, ye of little faith, he's not scolding him. He's saying, Peter, you were just about there. Mm. You had faith, but you just need more. Stay with me. I'll teach you. So I think I think it's different than, than being critical. It was an acknowledgement of potential. And no one else stepped out of the boat. Right, right. <laughs> it was exactly. only Peter. Right, right. Um, and I guess, you know, we don't live in the time of Gideon where we don't have other resources to help us determine the Lord's will. You know, we've got the prophets of the Old Testament and right. the Gospels and Revelation and God's power and influence, you know, his Holy Spirit that he's given us. So there's other resources we're encouraged to use, not yeah. putting out the fleece, so to speak. Continuing our personal story, before I received um, the suggestion from our dear friend, Jewel and I kind of put out the fleece. We knew God wanted us to go somewhere. We didn't know where, so we prayed that he would, here it is, sell our home by a certain date. Whoa. Oh, no, wait, yes, no, we're not supposed I'm to do serious. that. <laughs> then we would know it was his will to move on. Now, we didn't we did have enough faith to trust him wherever or um, whatever or wherever uh, the change would work. Um, but if it was from the Lord, that was good enough for us. And we don't didn't even know if this job uh, opportunity was the place to go. But that's what we did in our, and I'll say this, immaturity, immaturity, we did that. But yeah. you know, the, the, the key with that, Jonathan, is you were saying, you're, you're, you're saying to God, we just need a direction. Exactly. And now you got very specific. We did. And, and, and look, you know, God bless you for being specific and for, for his grace in giving you that specific answer in that specific situation. You know, as if you look at life now, my guess is you would say, yeah, that's not the kind of thing I would do now. No, we wouldn't. <laughs> but see, and that's the point, isn't it? That he gives us what we need when we need it. And then we grow into needing perhaps less or different so that we can be even more faithful. So what is our, what, well, first of all, Gideon saw 134,000. Okay, back to the story. 135,000 of the enemy, and he had only 32,000 soldiers. He needed surety that God is, was going to be, be with them, and he needed surety of what God's will was. So let's go to our, our act, final activation lesson for this segment. Jonathan, go ahead. Oh, Julie, that's yours. Okay, go ahead. Learning to be mighty in the hand of God is a process, and God understands the frailty and weaknesses of our imperfect humanity and guides us to grow into wielding his might. And that, that's definitely what happened here. But Gideon had to be up to speed on, in a really quick period of time because the enemy is right there about to attack them. Right. He needed answers now. And he, you ha he I, I love that phrase, he had to learn to be mighty in the hand of God. Not mighty of his own of his own accord, but in the hand of God. 
God understands our frailty, and he will give us what we need to be mighty in his hand so we can do whatever his will is and not our will. Gideon's uncertainty was met by a very gracious response on the part of God. What else would you expect? Two important tests would determine the size of Gideon's army. Would you have passed these tests? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com through all our social media channels and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. You know, our gut reaction to being faced with seriously unfavorable odds is always to find ways to even things up. The requirements for fighting the battles that God puts in front of us are often counterintuitive. God evens the odds in ways we can't imagine. All we must do is bravely march forward in faith. And this is such a key part of the lesson of Gideon's life. Gideon gathers his small army, and this is a small army of 32,000 people. God is about to dramatically filter down the size of this army. Remember, they're going up against 135,000 enemies, and they've got just 32,000. And God says, essentially, nah, I don't, I don't like those odds. So what does God do? Jod, Judges chapter 7, verses 2 to 3. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give to Midian in their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. Now therefore, come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. So God says, I don't like these odds. I'm going to make them worse. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) instead of being 4 to 1, 22,000 of the warriors leave, and now it's about 13 to 1, okay? 22,000 people leave. So God's filtering down the army, and the first filter is that of fear. He says, anybody who's afraid can leave. Imagine the Lord reduced his army by 22,000, and he's only left with (laughs) no well you know and he's been unsure right he's he's seeing the 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 depth of this experience so what julie what's what's the second filter that god is going to use oh well the next filter is zeal so god says there's still too many and he instructs gideon to bring those ten thousand to the water and there god is going to show them by a test who's going to go into battle and boy is this one clever okay judges seven five through ten So he brought the people down to the water and said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Now the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go, each man to his own home. So now this tiny army of 10,000 becomes this minuscule army of 300, and they take provisions and trumpets, and, they went, and, and the others all went back to their tents. And Rick, the unfaithful ones, it looked like this. 
a soldier could not put his face down to the water without loosening his armor, removing his helmet and his breastplate, and laying down his sword. But the faithful looked like this. Instead, they squatted at the water's edge with their bodies erect and eyes alert with their armor and swords intact. So That's a great test. Yeah, yeah, and there's a dramatic difference between the two. A dramatic difference. There's the readiness versus the relaxation. And you've got to just see the difference between the two. So, again, you know, and here's the interesting thing. We're talking about getting ready for this big battle. We're not even to the action yet. All <laughs> Most of Gideon's story is the preparation because the battle was so incredibly miraculous. He had to be built up for that. So what's the next, Julie, what's the next activation lesson? Well, God's mighty works require those who are willing to walk with extraordinary faith in the face of fear and unrelenting readiness and zeal in the face of overwhelming odds. And here it would be indisputable that the victory was because of the Lord Jehovah, because this Gideon's little army is, they're going to get clobbered unless God is with them. Yeah, yeah, the, the numbers are too, are too extraordinary. Back to our story. Then the overwhelming fear hit me in the interview in Connecticut with the task that was before me. It did not go well. I didn't get the job, and I felt like I let God down. Oh, I failed. No. Okay, You moved all that way, and you didn't even get we, the job? We, we didn't move. I, I drove to an interview, and we were still in the process. We didn't okay. move at that point. Okay. But more, more later. More to come. All right. So, you know, let's talk about Gideon being, being strong in faith here. Going into battle with 300 against 135,000. Those are odds of 450 to 1. 450 to 1. It's remarkable. If you recall, later on in Israel's history, you had exactly the same odds when Elijah, strangely enough, is facing the prophets of Baal. It's literally one man against how many prophets of Baal? 450, Rick. Same odds same idolatrous God. You think God is telling them, I, I am the God of, of, of odds that are incomprehensible. I wow. change the odds as I see fit. So God instructs Gideon to venture down into the enemy's camp and listen, because now Gideon, look, if I was Gideon, I'd be scared. This is, oh, yeah. this is how is this even possible? So God says, I know you're afraid. I want you to go down into the enemy's camp and just listen. So we have awareness that we started with, which brought assimilation, putting the pieces together, which brought activation. And now comes the transition into action. Judges 7, 11 to 14. And you will hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Think about the numbers. You see this. It's an incomprehensible number. And all you have is how many? 300? Really? <laughs> so this enemy was clearly overwhelming. So God arranged for him to, Gideon, to muster up the courage to do battle. How does he do that? Well, he told him to go down and sneak into the camp. Judges 7 now, verses 13 and 14. When Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend. And he said, behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian. And it came to the tent and struck it. And so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. 
His friend replied, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. Okay, seriously. (laughs) I've had some crazy dreams, but never a loaf of barley bread tumbling down the hill and smashing tents. So Gideon is ready to go, but he's still afraid. And he was told to sneak into this enemy camp and just listen. Now, what are the odds? This is just the craziest part of the story, that he would encounter two men talking about a dream and mention Gideon by name. And of all things, the dream is about a brown loaf of barley bread that comes tumbling into the camp and wipes out the tents. And the men miraculously interpret this dream saying, well, gee, this loaf of barley bread must mean the sword of Gideon will destroy us all. What unbelievable providence. Now, how did they know who he was? Did word spread through the spies? Maybe maybe they heard of the bold move of cutting down Baal's altar. I, I think that was it and yeah. living to tell about it. Yeah. So... Well, don't the forget, Midianites already knew him. Yeah, don't forget that that the the cutting the the destruction of Baal's altar was the reason that these armies began to to assemble. So they're after Israel, and there's this one guy that they're after. And you know the the other thing that I wonder about here in this, and, I, and there's absolutely no proof of this. So this is a pure Rick speculation. I wonder if many of those men, by God's providence, were given that same dream. And I wonder if there were many of those those conversations going on that would instill fear in them that, what do you mean, you had that dream too? What, what are you talking about? Gideon. And, and now the name of Gideon is like permeating. This is the Intermingling with these right. dream, this dream. Right. That makes sense. Who knows? That's just pure, 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 pure speculation, but it, it's interesting. So Gideon— So these, these men are all on edge now, Yes, right? and they're, that's the they're point. They're on edge, yeah. and that name Gideon is starting to strike fear in their hearts. 135,000 men here. So, so Gideon hears this, okay? He hears them talking about this, and what does he do? He bows in worship, and then he goes back to his army and proclaims God's deliverance. This is action. He bows in worship. In other words— I'm there. There's this sense of here I am, and then he goes to his men, and he's going to, to, to relay that lesson. Jonathan, what's our action lesson here? Gideon's conviction brings him to convict his army of God's deliverance. All that he has been taught has led him to this moment. Are we ready to act in accordance with our conviction? Wow. Is it possible that we could actually get to the point of having this absolute faith that there's no doubt God is leading us. And it leads me to think of, uh, there's a phrase that says, all I have seen teaches me to trust the creator for all I have not seen. And boy, that is to have no doubt. Have you been in that situation? I, I have, you know, and I'll tell you, with, with Christian questions, Jonathan, it was a no doubt circumstance. Once, yeah. once we sat down in the radio station and we talked to the, to the people, this is 21 years ago, and we talked to the manager and he said, you guys are in, you know, you can start next week. And we're, wait, 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 no, we don't want to start next week. We don't, we don't, <laughs> what? We don't know what we're doing. But see, the point was he left the room. We didn't even know what it was going to cost. And Jonathan and I, Jonathan, we looked at each other and we just said, it doesn't matter. No matter what it is, this is an open door. This is wow. God's will. Let's do this. So neither one of us was making a ton of money at the time, right? No, no. <laughs> so we're thinking, and we're sitting there, we're kind of bracing ourselves, saying, okay, whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is. He comes back, and he says, I'll give it to you for free to get started. Let's see how you do. <laughs> for, the first, for the first year. Yeah. We had a one-year free? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. 
Well, so, practice year. <laughs> <laughs> so, but see, God left no doubt. And so we, therefore, had to act without doubt. And that's the key. That's the key of Gideon's lesson here. So what does he do? He gets his army together and he provides the new weapons of this war. Now, the weapons of this war are really, you talk about an unorthodox story so far, the weapons of war here are incredibly unorthodox. Judges 7, 16 to 18. He divided the men into three companies and he put trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. He said to them, look at me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpets all around the camp and say, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon gets people together and provides these new weapons of war. Spears, knives, flaming arrows? (laughs) No, it's a clay jar a torch, and a ram's horn trumpet. These are your weapons. Are you ready to go? (laughs) So these 300 must have been people of great faith. And this reminds me of finding your Nehemiah. You know, about a year or two ago, you you did uh, a podcast uh, called How Do You Change Your World? It was episodes 997 and 998. And there you said, if your personal faith is not strong, Hitch your wagon to someone who's spiritually sound and trust what they do until your faith grows. And that's what these 300 must have done. It's like the Apostle Paul who wrote the concept, follow me as I follow Christ, seven times in the New Testament. So they were trusting him. And rightfully so, because he was now absolutely ready. He bowed and worshiped and told his men, we're going to defeat them. God is with us. So, Julie, we have a little soundbite here, but before we play it, give us a background. What is it? Okay, well, I'm I'm very excited to present this, and I know you can't see the really cute animated video that goes along with this, but you can watch this and the rest of our videos by going to ChristianQuestions.com and click on videos or ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And so CQ Kids videos are two-minute animated stories that are perfect for bedtime or Bible class, homeschoolers and parents, and even for the rest of us when we want a quick refresher on some great questions. So this one is called, How Did Gideon Defeat His Enemies? So just a few seconds of what it must have felt like from a kid's perspective, that is. The 300 men were divided into three groups surrounding the enemy. Each man had a trumpet and an empty jar with a torch inside. At Gideon's signal, everyone broke their jars, held their torches in their left hands, and blew their trumpets in their right hands. The Book of Judges says they shouted, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The enemy was completely surprised by all of the noise and light, probably thinking there were many more soldiers than just 300. And of course, we go back to the story to see what happens there. And again, that's a Christian Question CQ Kids video. Uh, available uh, on our YouTube channel. So Gideon's 100 men and the other two companies positioned themselves and at the opportune time, just when the middle watch was beginning, and it's interesting they went in right at the changing of the watch so that those who had been watching were getting off off duty and the next watch was coming in and they probably hadn't settled in quite yet and so there was a little bit of an off-guard situation there. That's when they acted, Judges 7, 20 to 23. 
When the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran crying out as they fled when they blew the three hundred trumpets. The Lord set out the sword of one against another, even throughout the whole army, and the army fled. The men of Israel were summoned from Naphtalia and Asher and of Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. So it's interesting, the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. That name that was revealed in the dream comes out, and they're afraid of this mighty warrior. What was his, what was his resume? <laughs> he cut down and destroyed cut down some trees. Yeah, he cut down some cut down trees. Cut down some idolatry. trees. <laughs> That's ah. right, idolatries. He destroyed an altar of Baal, and he built an altar to God. That's his resume. And that soldier was the key in God's hand, the mighty power in God's hand. All the trumpets are blaring, fire, uh, uh, fires crashing and noise, and, 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 and the army freaks out. In their confusion, they, they kill one another. 120,000 killing each other in one night, and that's in Judges 8.10. And some may wonder why this strategy was so effective. The reason is simple. A perfect illustration had been created in those days when an army moved at night. It was customary for only a regimental trumpeter to signal attack or retreat. When the Midianites heard suddenly uh, this great sound and the breaking of the pitchers, they saw 300 widely spaced lamps completely surrounding them and heard 300 trumpets sounding attack. And instantly their conclusion was these men said there are 300 regiments a full armor armies out there were were overwhelmed and so they were outnumbered breaking so, of the pitchers did sound very much like the rattling of armor and the clashing of swords upon iron shields in battle and think about this rick and julie the camels must have stampeded <laughs> and the damage that they must have oh, done because they yeah. were tons of camels are so this was chaos <laughs> There, yeah, that's right. Innumerable camels. Yeah. Right, right. And, and and so what you have is you have a sense of there's 300 regiments. So they're thinking they're against 300,000 men. They're that's thinking right. we're outnumbered more than two to one and we're surrounded and we're not ready. And so there's utter chaos. Julie, what's our action lesson here? Gideon's clarity of purpose and valiant actions stared impossibility in the face and handed it over to God himself. Are we prepared enough for our actions to do the same? Stare impossibility in the face and hand it over to God himself. Gideon and additional fighters he summoned from the hill country of Ephraim ended up killing the Midianite leaders. So we're, we're seeing this, this, this massive army just being dissolved. To end um, my personal story, while uh -huh. staying at a house in Connecticut at a very good friend's, Rick, <laughs> the day after the interview, we were all sitting around the kitchen and the phone rang. And in just hours from that phone call, I had a job. The Lord provided his way, but used others to bring us to that point. And by the way, um, two weeks before the date we gave to the Lord, we had a buyer. All is good. <laughs> Until after a few days before they backed out. <laughs> <laughs> that it's like, panic. Oh, no. <laughs> what does God want now? <laughs> no, exactly. And then... They changed their minds the day that we asked the Lord to have the sale done. Phew! 
And so you can write that few on the rewind. Few, got it. Well, the Lord taught us a lot um, through our experience, and the putting out of the fleece might not be the best idea in the future. <laughs> but you, you learned a lot, and you grew from it. We did. And, we you know, and, see, did. and that's the grace of God. He takes us where we are and gives us the things that we need and shows us how to grow beyond what we used to need to something higher and something stronger. So, and so let's get to the what about us here. Can we be one of God's specially chosen 300, as in this story? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And this is from the New International Version, because it really expresses the thought very, very, very clearly in relation to the story of Gideon. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's amazing. The light shines in our hearts, and we are jars of clay that need to be broken open so the light of God can shine out. Does that not remind us of the 300 who were able to defeat defeat 135,000 because of the power of God in their lives? Amen. That's a, it's a powerful study. So let's wrap this up. Judges 8 tells more of Gideon's story. He becomes Israel's fifth judge. There was peace for 40 more years. He went on to have 71 sons with many wives. He died of old age. But as soon as he died, Israel turns back to false gods. The cycle continues. They and, go back. And, and that's something we have to be so, so careful of. One last scripture, Jonathan, and then we're going to wrap this up. Second Corinthians, to, uh, well, hang on. Second Corinthians 12, uh, 9 through 10. Sorry. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, when we talk about weakness, we're not talking about being, uh, being somebody who's just, a, just, just a, a wimp. We're talking about someone who, in the frailty of their flesh, doesn't know what or how. What we need is direction. God sees the potential in that weak individual and gives direction. The question is, do I take the direction so I can act? Julie, what's our final action lesson? Well, you know, the Apostle Paul in that scripture said, I'm well content with all these things. And to be well content with difficulties is to be willing to have God's grace drive our thoughts and words and actions, just like Gideon. So there's tremendous lessons here. Julie, just a quick final thought. We're going to wrap this up. Well, the, the phrase that I really love is when God is on our side, we are always in the majority and if we're taking small baby steps, if we're moving forward in the right direction, the Lord will be pleased with our efforts. So keep moving forward. All right. So Gideon. Gideon was a timid but faithful man made very, very strong. We must learn to be as much as we can like Gideon in our daily service to God and be faithful as he was. God took a man who had never fought a battle and made him the general of a victorious army. Through his faith, through God's providence, and through God's patience, Gideon grew into the warrior and the conqueror. That is a story that we want to take with us each and every day of our lives. Think about it. 
Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. So for Jonathan, Rick, and Julie, coming up next week, we'll be talking about something very, very different. Folks, you've got to tune in for this. This is going to be fascinating. Should Christians care about the Jewish tabernacle? Interesting question. Talk to you next week. <laughs>